Uh, this is our home church, and uh, we feel very warmly toward you all and feel like this is our place in the States. Um, people ask us, where are you from? Well, we're from Boise. Uh, even though we've now lived in Jordan longer than we've lived in Boise, this is still our home. So it's good to be, to be with you this morning. Uh, around here this summer, I've heard a lot about making disciples. Uh, Jesus made disciples, didn't he? And then he caused those disciples, he taught them how to go out and make more disciples, not just in their immediate area, but to other nations around the world. Making disciples is uh, what Cole is about. It's also what we're about in Jordan. Uh, but there is one defining difference between uh, Christ's discipleship and ours. I'll think real hard for a minute. What do you think that difference would be? He was there in the flesh to make disciples. And he's not here anymore in, in, the phys in his physical form. We make disciples without him being present in the flesh. Today we are going to look at a story of two of his disciples from this larger circle that were around the uh, 12. And uh, they got quite discouraged because he was gone. But I think the picture that Luke uh, describes for us really gives us a picture of the reality now that, uh, that his disciples would live in and how Christ would continue to be made known even though he wasn't there in the flesh uh, for people to come and hear personally. So this story at the end of Luke, it's a bit of a transition story between that time when he was walking the earth, uh, calling people to himself, and when he would no longer be here. And it gives us an account of, uh, of, of how that took place. But in that story, uh, this is one of four Resurrection Day appearances of, of Jesus. Four times on that Sunday, which was the first day of the week, which was the first day after the Passover feast, he appeared four times. And the story we're going to look at today is one of those appearances given in detail. Um, I think Luke puts these stories together in, in chapter 24 because he wants us to be convinced, uh, as we say in, in Arabic, 100% that uh, Jesus did rise from the dead. He wants us to know the facts about Jesus, but more than that, he wants us to know Christ. He wants us to know him. And we have some clues how that might happen when Christ isn't here in the flesh. So if you turn with me to Luke 24, we'll look at the story of the two men on the road, or the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, 13. <clears throat> now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor in Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? It seems that Dr. Luke was able to uh, interview Cleopas directly because this has all the 
marks of a personal uh, testimony. The name of the other disciple is not known. Um, but they both were Jews, and they both were from this larger circle of disciples. And some people have suggested it may have been Cleopas and his wife uh, going back home to Emmaus, which was about a two to two and a half hour walk, seven miles northwest of Jerusalem. Uh, as they walked, they had a lot to talk about because that Passover weekend was full of unsettling events. Perhaps they had uh, gotten connected with Jesus and his band of disciples earlier, maybe the previous Passover. Perhaps they had heard what he had talked about and thought, this is the truth. We want to get as close to this as we can. And so they associated themselves with the disciples. However it happened, they were from that circle of disciples. And now they were heading back home. And they were mulling over everything that had happened. And certainly a lot, a lot had happened. There were problems in this group of disciples now. On Thursday, uh, one of them uh, betrayed Christ and conspired with the Jews to have the Romans arrest him, take him to trial, and swiftly execute him on Friday. So now the twelve, these so-called leaders or pillars of this band, became eleven. And Christ was dead. He had been put in a grave. And uh, Saturday was a day of mourning and fear and doubt. No one could go anywhere. It was the Sabbath. They couldn't travel. So these disciples found each other and huddled together, probably. This is my imagination. And uh, were just full of questions, sadness, confusion. I, I suppose there was even crying. People not understanding what's going on. Christ is no longer there. And Cleopas and his friend that morning had seen the women go out. You know, when, when men are busy being upset, women are about business. And they had gotten the spices together and had gone back to the tomb and were going to take care of that last, last business of anointing uh, Christ's body. But then they had come back this, with this remarkable story that uh, the tomb was, was empty. It was thrown open. And what's more... There were two angels there who spoke with us, and they told us, he's not here, he's risen. Just as he said. They said, and the Son of Man, it was written, must be uh, crucified, must be put to death, and then rise again. And these women said, and we remembered that, that Jesus said this when he was with us. Well, the disciples um, wouldn't have any of it. This was a tall tale. This was, in verse 11, it says it seemed to them like nonsense. And it, the idea is idle talk. The word is even a medical term for this babbling of an insane mind. You women, keep, keep talking. It's, go ahead, believe it if you want. That's a, that's a good one, really. These people were despondent. These disciples were, uh, were skeptical staunch skeptics at this point. So I can imagine Cleopas and his friends said, okay, that's it. Let's, let's get back to our life. Let's go home. That's enough. And they're, they're talking about these events as they walk along. And it appears that they're heading back, back home. Now it's interesting 
that Jesus would come up and walk alongside these two. They weren't Peter or John. They weren't the twelve. They were just normal people hanging around because they knew there was truth there. They had some, built some trust in this man. And Jesus appears to them. That's interesting, but it shouldn't be surprising because all through Christ's life, he always went after people to comfort them, to enter into their sadness, to understand them, to enter into the complexities of, of their lives. That's what, that's what he was about. That morning, he had appeared to Mary Magdalene uh, and spoken with her personally. Jesus is the master fisher of men. He was when he walked the earth, and he still is. Well, but he kept himself from being recognized by them. Uh, literally, it means their eyes were held from, from recognizing him. And Mark, in Mark 16, says that Jesus appeared in another form or a different form. However that worked, he purposefully uh, disguised himself, was incognito, uh, had changed in some way so that they couldn't recognize his physical appearance. Now, at this point, how does he then so reveal himself to these two that they become committed disciples of Christ? Well, we've already mentioned he walks with them. He comes alongside of them. He cares for them. He wants them in his band of disciples. And they understood a great deal about him. Cleopas said, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. So he listens to them. He listens to what they know about him, what they understand. And he's not only a master fisher of men, he's a master teacher. The good teacher will do that, won't they? Find out how much the student understands and then build on that, on that knowledge. So here's what they understood. He says in verse 19, What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Certainly that was true, wasn't it? All the people knew that the favor of God was on this man because of the amazing miracles he performed. Because when he taught the word of God, he taught with authority. They could see it, that this man was from God. The favor of God was on him, and he was powerful. But, but they said, and this is a confession, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Listen to this. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions, that would be Peter and John, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him, but him, they did not see. So they understood part of the story. They understood some things about Jesus that were true. They had witnessed with their own eyes, heard with their own ears, and seen much of what he was about. 
So Jesus hears from them, he walks with them, and now he reproves them. He teaches them. He says, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wow. I thought he was there to comfort these guys and bring them back. How foolish you are, you unintelligent, unknowing children. How slow of heart you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus chides them for not knowing about the Messiah from all the scriptures. Now, clearly, they knew some of it. They had seen some of it, and as Jews, they would have understood script, some scriptures, I'm sure. At least the Shema, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They seem to know that part of the glory, they seem to know that part of the story, which was the Messiah's victory and glory, that he was going to establish his kingdom on the earth and rule mightily his people in God's blessings. And no one would be their overlord, would be able to, to, to threaten him. But Jesus rebukes them here for not knowing that in order for him to achieve his glory, he must go through suffering. And he calls them foolish for not knowing the scriptures. Now, I think it's good of us to pause and consider if, if they were called foolish by our Lord, uh, how might he deal with us in his discipleship, in his effort to build us up and to get us going in the right direction? What would he say of us? Do we know the scriptures? Do we know Christ from the scriptures to the extent that we can lead others to that knowledge? Jesus said in John 5, 46, But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Those are sharp words, challenging words. Uh, Christ wants us to grow in our knowledge of him through the scriptures and not stop at what we understand today. He said, now the scriptures speak of this one point that you're missing here, guys, this one very important point, that the Christ had to suffer these things and then enter his glory. The only way for Christ to achieve his glory was by the way of suffering. The crown was achieved by the way of the cross. He could not have been a savior, according to the scriptures, if he had not been a suffering servant. Now, we work in a part of the world that are, they're like these disciples, actually. They don't receive this truth that Christ had to suffer. In Islam, they say, how could a prophet of God, powerful and mighty, how could he be subjected to this shameful suffering at the hands of men? But this is all contained in the scriptures. This is what God has revealed about Christ. Incidentally, Jesus, I think, is in a way telling these two, look, suffering is part of the game. 
You want to follow me? You want to know who I am? It's going to involve suffering. Afflictions of the saints are proof of their sonship in the New Testament. And so let's not push that part of the gospel out of our, out of our minds. Jesus set the pattern. Not only did he achieve redemption for us, but he taught his disciples that it's through the losing of their life that they will find life. They will be able to impart this life to other people. And what does Paul tell these new believers in Asia in Acts 14.22? He goes back to encourage them and strengthen them, it says. But then he says, I'm going to encourage you and strengthen you. This is what I'm going to say to you. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It's something that should be made known. It's something that we should be coming to terms with when hardships and afflictions, before hardships and afflictions come our way. Well, like Cleopas and his friend, oftentimes this is not part of our picture of who Christ is or what he's calling us to do. When the going gets tough, let's get going back to Emmaus and to some degree of normalcy here. Well, Jesus rebukes them, reproves them, and he teaches them. He reveals himself through the scriptures. Now, remember, they, they don't recognize him. They had seen him. They knew what he looked like. They knew that it would be Jesus. But Jesus kept himself from that recognition. So he's revealing now himself through the scriptures. And this is astounding. I think this is recorded in detail for us to, to, to grapple with these ideas because we're now moving into a new stage of discipleship when Christ would no longer be there. He began with Moses and all the prophets. Moses wrote the Torah. He probably went back to Genesis 3.15, that very clear uh, prediction and prophecy of the promised one coming who would crush the head of the serpent, but whose heel would be crushed, dealing a death blow to that serpent to achieve victory of, of righteousness, victory over sin and evil and death. Right there in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3.15, is Christ. Starting with Moses and all the prophets, wow. He explains, he interpreted, he taught what was said in all the scriptures regarding himself. In Matthew Henry's commentary, he says, There are things dispersed throughout all the scriptures concerning Christ. A golden thread of gospel grace runs through the whole web of the Old Testament. You can't go far in any part of scripture, but you meet with something that has reference to Christ. Some prophecy, some promise, some prayer, some type or other. And Jesus set a profound example for us. Now imagine if he hadn't taken this tact with them. If he had not expounded the scriptures for them, but had chosen a little bit different way to reveal himself. Could he not at this point have lifted the haze from their eyes? Could he not have said, it was me and I've risen. And here's the, here's the scars and the wounds. And I'm the one that did the miracles. Look, it's me. And that tree there, I could command it to, to wither, and it would wither before your eyes. But he chose to 
bring the knowledge of himself through the scriptures. Amazing. Now, some of the people I told that I would be teaching on this, their comment was, don't you wish you were there to hear this? I mean, this must have been an amazing, amazing sermon. Just incredible. His exposition of all these Old Testament texts. Uh, The great preacher Ironside comments on that, and he says, This great exposition of the Old Testament was not recorded for us in order that we might be stirred up to study the Word for ourselves and search it daily in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We are to begin with Moses and go on through all the prophets. And with the light that the New Testament throws on these books, we can see the things which they have to teach us concerning him. For Christ himself is the theme of the entire Old Testament as truly as the New. Well, I think this has a clear implication to us. We need to be growing in our understanding of Scripture. We need to be rich in in Scripture, both the New Testament and the Old Testament, because that is how we are built up in the faith. Paul says, as you admonish and teach one another with all wisdom. This is the way that Christ would reveal himself from now on. Now, I'm, I'm so glad that this is how it happens, that Jesus is here but speaks through his word. Back in the early 80s, I was a student at Boise State, and I was hungry for God. Um, I came to Cole and heard the word being expounded, and I knew this is it. This is how I can get to know God. And it worked. The teaching of the word, the understanding that that gave me, the revelation of who God is, and caused growth in our relationship, and he changed my life. He turned me around. Uh, He got me back closer to the disciples and said, I want you to be trained, and then I want you to go. I've seen this work with Palestinian Muslims in the Middle East, people who reject the veracity of of the scriptures. If they get, if people have given themselves a chance to hear it, and the scriptures have radically change their life because they see that Jesus is alive, that he is the son of God, that he has a kingdom, and that he's inviting them to be a part of it. This doesn't come through the testimony of of missionaries. This comes through, through the scriptures. Jesus is still revealing himself this way. There seem to be two traps to be aware of here that Jesus is, um, as he talks to these men. I think one is putting their hope on a peripheral issue. Now, they had this hope for this messianic expectation of the redemption of Israel. And uh, Jesus doesn't deal with that as the core of his teaching. The core of what he's teaching here is himself. Obviously, there, there is something Scripture says about that, but it's not to, in the center and I think this might be one of the, uh, one of the um, things that the Western church is facing these days, where peripheral issues get dr- pulled into the center, and we all start living for this and talking about this. Where is Jesus? Where is Christ? Where is the revelation of himself through us? So watch out for peripheral issues. We could talk a long time on this particular issue, but 
unfortunately there's no time this morning. A second trap is, uh, is emphasizing experience over Jesus. Well, that may be a, an odd way of saying it, but uh, there's a bit of a debate going on in some of the circles I have been in, and I'm not saying that's of Cole, but I've heard people say, if you don't have an experience of God, some miracle, some dream, some vision, some clear sign, you haven't experienced Christ. And I think his teaching to these two would refute that. I think here that the expounding of the word, the revelation of Christ through his word, is the experience of Jesus. It was his revelation of himself. Now, there are dreams and there are visions and there are miracles throughout Acts. Even on the mission field, we see, we see a lot of these things. But they're always attendant to the basis of faith in Christ and who he is. That's the core issue. These other things encourage people oftentimes to keep, on, to keep pursuing him. But they're never the basis of faith. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And it's through the lenses of Scripture that we fix our eyes on Jesus. So, in verse 28... As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. And he, he would have gone farther if they hadn't, in Middle Eastern style, imposed themselves on him and forced him to come into their house. They urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. The disappearing from their sight would be a miracle. The breaking of bread, just a normal, common thing they would do before a meal. And Jesus, now having the respect of a religious teacher, took the lead in that meal and gave thanks and broke bread, and their eyes were opened. They ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And I can see Cleopas asking his wife, didn't you think when he was talking that this is something astounding? This is supernatural. My heart was burning within me. She said, yeah, mine too. I've never been as hot for God as I was on that road. There's something going on. There's something going on as he, as he talked with us and ex revealed himself to the scriptures. Now, they didn't finish their meal. They got up immediately, changed directions. Their the course of their life has changed and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and the eleven were saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Now, we don't have a record, a clear, detailed account of how the Lord appeared to Simon on that day, but sometime between morning and, and evening here this had happened and the disciples were convinced because now he had appeared to Simon the big cheese so it must be true 
Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Uh, we, that's one account of a resurrection appearance. There's a second account where he appears to the disciples below that. And just to go down to verse 44, he does come to them now that they believe that he's risen, and he does show them his, his body. <clears throat> and he says, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's the only time in the New Testament that that three-part designation for the Old Testament is given like this. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You know that even discipleship across ethnic lines, across national lines, this missions enterprise is according to the scriptures. It's part of the gospel. It's part of who Jesus is. And we're privileged, myself and my family, to be, to be a part of that. Well, this is the profound lesson in this passage, I believe, that Jesus revealed himself to unbelieving disciples or weak in their faith disciples through the teaching of the scriptures, the Old Testament. And I believe this was to be the pattern from here on out. This was to be the way he would still reveal himself. And this would turn people's worlds around. God can change our hearts through the revelation of Jesus from the scriptures. Christ is present in the believing exposition of his word. It doesn't have to be on a Sunday morning behind a pulpit with notes. When there's believing exposition of his word, he's there. That is the most significant central revelation of Christ. It enlightens us, our hearts, it opens our minds to grasp more of who he is so we can worship him more fully. He can do that for us. No longer would the physical body of Christ need to be present in order to reveal who he was or what his kingdom was about. It would be through the teaching of Scripture. This way, today, that Jesus would continue to be revealed and be made known to all nations. And that's a prof profound way in which hearts are warmed to come back, to get closer to Christ, and commit people's lives to Him. Well, let's close in prayer. Our Father, how, how great You are in all the earth, how profound are Your ways, how uh, amazing is the revelation You've given us through the Scriptures. We worship You, O Father, and we have come to Christ, who is our Redeemer. O Lord, strengthen our trust, strengthen our knowledge of Him, that we might also worship Him and commit our ways to Him. And let Him change the course of our lives, if that's what He is wanting to do. We praise Your name. Amen.